pint-sized retro. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High-resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Gaming, Dan the Pub. Diddy Dorse. And say cheese. 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 All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, gents. Did you all enjoy your week off? What did you do with it? Yes. I've yeah. watched the last show twice because there was nothing else to watch. No, I didn't really. What, our own show? <laughs> yeah, our own show. <laughs> Just watch it two weekends in a row. <laughs> we did have quite a few comments from people saying, where are you on Saturday when we didn't turn up? Even though we tried to give you as much warning as possible. So uh, we do apologise that there wasn't a show, but uh, things didn't align last week. So we had a week off. And hopefully the bumper show that you had before we went away uh, satiated your appetite for all things retro. Um, this week, or this, these last two weeks, we've had a really busy time at the cave. I uh, had David Rowe, who was a, a video game artist, and so much more besides. But I know him from the box art cover of video games, like uh, he did that Populous box art cover, um, Spin Dizzy, Chubby Gristle, and we learned something really fun about the Chubby Gristle cover and who it was based on. All sorts. Um, this was part of a patron day at the cave, and it was recorded, so it's on the um, RMC Retro YouTube channel now, if anyone wants to learn all about David Rowe and his artwork. And it was just a really nice event that uh, reflects on exactly the kind of event that I want to be happening in the cave, which is just a really interesting guest speaker. People that come can enjoy it. People that can't can enjoy it as well through a recording. It all worked out beautifully. So thank you again, David, and everyone who came to enjoy that and who has watched it. Um, <clears throat> I've also been going down a microprose rabbit hole, which I think you'll like, Chris, Ooh. because um, you don't know this, but when you came to visit the cave, you were 12 minutes away from where the UK microprose office used <gasps> to be. Are you one serious? Of one of them. Two of them, in fact. Two of them in a place called Tetbury. Wow. So um, once I realized this, I've grabbed my camera and I've been driving all around the area, filming these buildings and, and tying it into a um, an episode that I'm working on. So looking forward to sharing that. Feels a bit creepy, I have to say, taking a camera out in public and just filming things <laughs> in public. I, I, it caught me by surprise because I don't do it very often. I'm normally filming in the cave. So when I was sort of holding a camera up and there were people around me, I thought, oh, this feels a bit odd. Yeah. But um, there you go. I, I stuck stuck to it for the channel, for the cave dwellers. Um, and other than that, I um, you may want to look out for something interesting in that episode because I haven't finished filming it yet. Just this morning... I was using my clippers to clip my hair, clip my beard. And uh, do you use clippers, Chris, or do you use a razor? No, clippers. And clippers. I, and the wife does it. Yeah, Nikki does it. I just Dave, sit there. Share your hair I tips, use clippers. Dave. Clippers, I used, yeah, to okay. go to, I used to go with the barbers, and then the lockdown, when lockdown started, I started doing it myself. I'm not going back. Yeah, so I do my hair without the shield on the clippers. Do my beard with the shield on the clippers. Got a little adjustment on the clippers to go to like 8 mil or whatever I normally do the beard on. Didn't realise it didn't have the shield on. <gasps> so I just cut a huge chunk out of my moustache. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, there's no coming back from that. So I've, um, I've had to do a very short beard. So when you watch my next video, notice... There's a, there'll be a moment halfway through the video where my, my beard suddenly gets very short. There's nothing I can do about that. Sorry. It looks fine. I mean, it looks fine now. It looks yeah. fine. But when, when you've got the 4K camera on there and, uh, well, <laughs> whatever. Whatever. Nice. It's done now. There's nothing I can do. I've just got to style it out. <laughs> Dave, how's your week been? You've got a new addition to uh, your cave, I understand. 
Yeah, so uh, people may be aware, but I, I certainly don't want to talk about it on the podcast or go into any detail. Things are there's some difficult things happening in, in in my family life that made me think: go and do the things you want to do, Dave. Don't just keep putting them off. And I was going to get a cat before lockdown, and I never get round to it. I keep talking myself around it, and I'll get round to it. And then on Friday, I went on Gumtree, found a kitten. And on Sunday morning, I picked up a kitten called Dot, who is a Bengal kitten. She is adorable. She is tiny. She loves cooing into me and purring away. I'll give Duncan maybe a video clip of her or some some pictures to put up while we're talking. She's adorable. I just want to sit and read a magazine with her with her cuddling into me. So she's great. Um, I will need to carefully introduce her to, to Johnny. She's separated from him at the moment and she'll be that way for a week or two, but she's 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 adorable and uh, I, I, I can't be, I can't believe how tiny and, and fragile feeling she she is. But she's yeah, she's but already very I've seen pictures. She's all ears yeah. and paws and very cute. Mm. Very cute. <laughs> I didn't know you were such an EastEnders fan, um Dave. Yeah she's named after Doc Cotton. Yeah. Doc Kitten. no she's not i don't know i just i i I like i like people names for for animals uh, and i like people names for animals that people don't generally call animals Hmm. so i i I quite like dorothy and then before i knew it it was dot and i might not even call her dorothy and shorten it to dot i might just call her dot nice fantastic um chris Bring us back on track. Give us some retro news from your week. What have you been up to? <laughs> it's kind of retro. Um, I think I mentioned the Lego set that I got a while ago, the Galaxy Explorer. Um, yes, yeah. Somebody scribbled all over it. And the people that have scribbled all over it, I'll keep it short, but basically it's the winners of Lego Masters, a show I think I've uh, mentioned several times before. Sure, so yeah. So Channel 9, Lego Masters Australia, they had the Grandmaster Series, so the best of the best competing again, and the WA team, Scott and Owen, one and they i won't you know bore you with the details of how this was in their possession at the time but they signed my lego box uh, which is fantastic Brilliant. so and now i'm in contact with them as well so yeah it's cool it's cool i love that kind of thing and i love that you can come on here and share it with us because yeah <clears throat> when uh, david came and um did his talk i got him to sign some boxes some old video game boxes with his artwork on there and then i you know i'm i'm really proud of those i'm really pleased that he signed them and i've got to meet him but who do i show them to yeah show them to my, you know share them to my brother or my mum and dad they'll be like yeah well done great who the hell is that yeah but, you know exactly. you guys can appreciate that and <laughs> we can appreciate your uh, your lego signature so thank yeah, you for sharing cool. that chris maybe no, we cool. should work that into one of our future questions of the week give everyone an opportunity to show off something that they're proud of that they don't know who else to show it off to yeah <laughs> that would be cool. careful Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Might not be like careful. that, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, the, go on, Chris. Yeah, the only other bit of news I've got this week is as we as this goes to air, this episode goes to air, I will not be watching it on my couch. I will actually be at the Perth Amiga Users Group Meet Nine, so I'll report back on how well that went. Please yep. do give us a give us a special That's show fun. report. Get some pictures and some, I'm, I'm sure you will on your channel anyway. But mm. um, yeah, get something for the show. And if anyone's listening from the Perth Amiga User Group, hello guys, and we hope you have a really good meet. Housekeeping. 
Thank you very much, Carol. Um, if you do want to submit a jingle for it, we're happily accepting them. If there's a video part to it, fine. Doesn't need to be, though. Um, we had some really interesting responses about catalogue shopping, and some people are clearly very nostalgic, very fond memories about the Argos catalogue. Um, really impressed with those. We'll read some out at the end, but have a look through the comments on YouTube and so on. Some wonderful responses there. Um, we also talked about Atari buying up old IP recently. And another article was submitted to the subreddit, probably not worth covering because we've just covered the same thing, but um, they've bought up the rights to a dozen of their old 2600 games from Mattel or Division of Mattel. So that's the third acquisition they've done this year. Um, so they're they're definitely doing more of that. Um I didn't really think that when we got heavily into retro that the old games really ha had any value to them. I thought they were just, I know Abandonware is not a thing, but that's what I thought of them as. But it's clearly not the case now. Everything is being grabbed up, protected, and monetized. There's obviously upsides to that, in, per in particular for casual or for non-technical people. It means that things are accessible and the prices are generally low, so it's not much of a barrier. You can go on Steam, perhaps, a couple of quid, and you're playing the game you want to do, all packaged up. So it's not a, good, it's not a bad thing that way. But it does kind of mean that things kind of become illegal that that, that that we thought weren't before and ethically they should have finished their commercial life years ago so that was quite an interesting thing to read um neil you do that we note here about smells <laughs> um it's probably best if you take yourself off mute though thanks dave um, do you remember in the last episode we talked about the smell when you open big game boxes, but also yes. you got into the smell of plastic toys and when you mm. opened them. And um, Mr. Lurch was talking about um, opening his, I think it was his Star Wars figures that he had, yeah. didn't he, and the, the smell. Well, somebody has come onto the subreddit and given us an explanation as to what that new toy smell is. Um, I can't say I'm a, a chemist, so I can't verify this, but it, you know, it, it sounds pretty... Um, believable so i'll read it out uh it's uh, it comes from tungsten orchid it says as you predicted during the show here is a post explaining new toy smell the smell is most likely you, uh, due to the plasticizer used when most plastics are injection molded they've been infused with a compound known as phthalate um <laughs> it's p-h-t-h-a-l-a-t-e phthalate um which makes it more malleable this is often done to make it possible to get the part out of the mold without breaking it. Over time, the phthalate will evaporate and the plastic will harden more and more, making it less and less flexible. As a side effect, this also makes the plastic increasingly brittle. Uh, and then there's a, a reputable source linked there. As you can see from the link, phthalates are potentially harmful. And when working with them, it's recommended to work in a well-ventilated space in order to avoid excessive exposure. Hopefully this helps to clarify. So um, thank you, Tungsten Orchid. If you want to find out more, go and click on the link there in the subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro and look for the post new toy smell. Back to you, Dave. Actually, over to Chris for an update on the Tiny 486. You had something on that, Chris, didn't you? Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, the Tiny 486, I did make comment when we covered that story, and it's a fantastic little project. Um, little, literally. Um, but I did make comment on the fact that he 
didn't play Doom on it, and he seriously, so Eric, I'm talking about, couldn't couldn't resist. I think lots of people have commented and asked, does it play Doom? I didn't specifically ask that question because I assumed a you know a four eight six DX two one hundred, which is the the CPU in it. Of course, that's going to play Doom. But yes, he's released a short video showing the tiny four eight six happily playing Doom at what I can only describe as a frame rate that would have been the thing of dreams for me back in the day with my first PC. So, yes, it plays Doom. So I'd like to welcome new patrons this week. We have The Himble, we have Tony, Nick, Jason, Derek, and Paul. And also a thanks to James for a big increase to his pledge. So thank you very much. It makes a difference that it helps us contribute towards the cost of equipment and so on. So thank you very much for doing that. If you do want to join them, if you do want to join them, you can sign up at www.patreon.com slash thisweekinretro, link in the show notes. Um, we're very welcome to join us. We'll happily read out your names. Um, or any instructions on your names, if you do sign up and you want us to read out your name in a particular way or whatever, send us a little message on Patreon. We'll make sure <laughs> it happens. Into our first story then, Gaming Down the Pub. This is actually an amalgamation of two stories which I've mashed together because they both involve the pub. So thank you to Marin Bala and Osprey underscore Shower for um, submitting these stories to our subreddit. So um, do you guys remember when being a gamer was largely an isolated experience with the, the glow of the CRT on your face, your bedroom door closed late into the night? Uh, talking about maybe your latest achievements in gaming in hushed tones with others that you'd identified carefully at school as fellow geeks. Maybe I'm over-egging it a bit because I was a shameless geek at school. And um, uh, to be honest, I didn't care who knew. But, you know, I'll, I'll play into the stereotype of the American high school and the geeks getting beaten up by the by the jocks. Um, <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. <laughs> Dave is pounding his fist because he is a jock. <laughs> uh, well <laughs> <laughs> but um as we progressed from school to college to going down the pub i personally and this is only my own personal experience i don't remember video games ever really being a topic of conversation with that crowd as we discovered the pub and pretended to be grown-ups and um, tried to attract the opposite sex and all the rest of it. If I'd pulled out an Amiga and slapped that on the table after a few rounds, um, uh, you know, and challenged someone to a game of kickoff too, I think I would have been disowned and labelled an absolute nutter in my local pub. But times, it seems, have changed. People like Dave and Chris have clearly made it cool to be loud and proud about your love of gaming. And no better is this scene than in these two stories. So the first is of an Amiga Mini setup titled Bringing the Portable A500 Mini to the Pub. It's just a fun and simple setup of an A500 Mini running with a, a battery pack. Uh, there's a small screen. There are some peripherals, keyboard and mouse, all selected so that they can fit in a rucksack. And this guy is filmed in a pub, laying it all out on the table on a, uh, a sticky table um, with a pint playing on an A500 Mini. Now, I must admit, I didn't see anyone else in this video in the pub during filming. So I really want to see this set up on a busy Friday night to see what kind of reaction you get from people, not just sat in a pub on your own that you've perhaps got permission to film in. But nevertheless, it's nice to see it in that context on a pub table. Now, the other story that was submitted is uh, linked to a local paper article over in Norwich celebrating the opening of Barcadia, a coming together of the arcade, a pub, and vegan junk food. That's their description of it, not mine. Vegan junk food, which is based in Norwich, in the which over on the east side of the UK. Um, 
quite a long way from most places Norwich to, to get to. I used to have to go and support sites at, um, I think it was Great Yarmouth over that way, maybe Hunstanton. Um, and uh, yeah, it took me hours to get there. But uh, if you're a little bit more local, it looks like it's well worth checking out. It's the creation of Peter Lee, aka Nostalgia Nerd, and Samantha Whitehouse. And I believe also Did You Know Gaming and Ashens are connected to the project. I'm not entirely sure how they are. It seems to be Peter and Samantha who are the faces of the project, but behind the scenes, there are other people involved. Yeah, I think they're just local. Um, Ashens is from Norwich. So that's that's why he's involved. I think uh, the, the idea was he just wanted to there, there to be a place like that in Norwich for him to go to. Fair sure. The um the bar's refurbishment was well underway when then a Kickstarter came along in March, managed to raise um a not insubstantial twenty seven thousand seven hundred eighty one pounds when it ended in April, and a few weeks later the bar opened up with a selection of arcade cabinets, a jungle theme to the decor, and a comprehensive cocktail menu. So, chaps, it's, um, well, is it cool to take your retro to the pub? Is it cooler for the pub to bring retro to you? What are your thoughts? Are, are we the cool kids now? <laughs> when do you think about all this? Dave, let's start with you. I've always been cool. I mean, look at me. <laughs> um, actually, no, there is a serious point to be made. In the late 80s and early 90s, and probably all the way through the 90s, what was cool and what wasn't, and gaming, gaming was an, an embarrassing hobby at, at that point. I mean, you saw the PlayStation ads where they were trying to push it the other way and trying to, uh, they were so bluntly trying to make it look as if it was uh, appealing to lad culture. But in the in the late 80s and the, the, the 90s, there was a, a pushback against hobbies in general. You were not supposed to have a hobby if it wasn't football, drinking, and women. Now, I happen to quite enjoy all three to varying degrees of ability, but it meant you weren't supposed to have other hobbies and you were shamed away from anything anything like that. You saw the, the TV shows mocking train spotting or photographers and all the rest of it. Um, so I'm delighted that these days that's all changed. Was it TFA Friday? Do you remember they had a segment called Ugly Bloke? And they just, (laughs) I mean, it turned out he was an actor, but just for the laughs, they put on like a really geeky chap and sang the Ugly Bloke song to him. Ugly Bloke, Ugly Bloke, now we salute you. And then um, just had a chat about (laughs) this geeky guy. Do you remember that? I mean, that kind of epitomizes the whole lad, ladette culture, you know, get the beers down, laugh at the guy that looks a bit funny sort of period. Yeah. I'm thinking things like the word and um yeah. but mainly the the Mary Whitehouse experience and that type of thing where they had um they, they had saddles on and all the rest of it and that kind of that kind of language and so on. And yeah, it was funny and I was certainly laughing at it at the time. But but I think now when you look back, it's clear it was the wrong thing to do. So I'm delighted now that people have all sorts of diverse and geeky hobbies that they can enjoy and nobody is or certainly far less people are trying to shame people out of it and the other thing as well is it used to be you weren't supposed to play computer games because they were for kids and there's much less of that going on now gaming as we know is 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 a huge entertainment industry so loads of people most people seem to do it now so i'm glad that that's all changed as for Barcadia down in Norwich. I mean, Norwich is on, for people who are not too familiar with UK geography, uh, Norwich is on the east of England. It's a lump down, it's, it's not in the, it's not classed as the southeast, but it is down the southeast of the, of the country. It's a lump on the side of England. And 
you don't go through Norwich to go anywhere. If, you, if, you, if you're going to Norwich, then you're going to Norwich. You're not passing through on the way to somewhere else. So it's not something I, I, I'd be interested in going to because it's a long way away. But it does look pretty good. They've got quite a few arcade cabinets in there. They've managed to get quite a few in. Uh, and I like the idea of a pub, of a bar that's not quite the old man smelly pubs that we were used to. Um, so if that if that's a nice place, if you're local to Norwich, to go and meet your pals, have a couple of beers, you can play a game until they arrive, or you can go and play a two-player game against them. Neil, you've talked about how competitive arcade play is something you've, you've been brought back to, so maybe the appeal there. Um, but I think I would need a real reason to visit one of those. There are there are barcades in Glasgow, which is near me. There's two or three of those there, and they are much more... They're, they're darker areas with lots more arcade machines. But I think if I'm visiting an arcade, I would want it to be Arcade Archive. Uh, in the building with you or something like that or arcade oh, club dave, somewhere it. where it's proper <laughs> crts and so on because I, I i wouldn't want to go somewhere and play arcade games on a flat screen a flat screen emulator just it's to not, pull you up there I, I can't say i've seen any photos of barcadia having flat screens or emulators no no they don't got the they real don't, deal no, there. yeah just to be clear yeah, yeah. yeah they've got the real deal they've got the real deal yeah no but there are your typical arcade bar in a city center and for the right reasons, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with them having flat screens there. I'm sure that's good fun if you're out for a pint and you're happy, you're meeting your pals and you're playing on these games. It's fine, but I wouldn't travel to play on flat screens on an emulator. That makes sense. Uh, I, I would travel to. I would travel to see arcade archive where the, there's the whole history going on and there's it's packed full of arcade machines. Or if there were somewhere local like uh, Nostalgia Nerds Place with real machines, um, then I would go there. Um, but yeah, the flat screen stuff, not, not the same appeal to me. Um, I'm sure it's fun and a night out though. If I was local, I'd be down there every weekend, I think. Um, partly because it's not an arcade where you pay to go in, uh, you know, you've got to pay to go in and see them. You yeah. can just go into the bar, sit at the bar, have a pint and enjoy the ambience of arcade noises and, you know, attract sounds going off and, and competitive gameplay going off in the corner. I think that's quite a nice thing. Have a have a yeah. dirty vegan burger and fries and and hear that going on. So um, it's nice and it's nice to have choice as well because uh, I've got to say I used to be a regular pub goer. Maybe it's because the prices have got quite expensive. Maybe it's just because mm. I got bored of it. I just I just don't go to the pub very often anymore. If I do, it's it's normally on a Sunday for something to eat rather than to socialize with friends. We find other things to do now, and I think certainly the generations that came after us as every generation does, looked at us and said, that's what they do. Let's, we, we do something else. We find something new to do. And, and they didn't become raging alcoholics down the pub every fr Thursday, Friday, Saturday <laughs> night like the generations before them. Plus, we've had lockdowns. So this is an industry that's had a really difficult time and it's going to take new ideas. Arcade's not necessarily a new idea, but new approaches to, you know, different ideas to, like you say, the old man pub. You've got to try new things and you've got to see if people like it and if it sticks. So, you know, I applaud I applaud these things. Chris, what about your thoughts? Um, I like both sides of these stories that you've brought this week. I mean, a, the, the fact that somebody's taken it upon themselves to make the A500 Mini more portable and take it to the pub, I think is is fantastic. And it reminds me of when I first got a Pi 400, which I bought specifically just to run Pi Mega on, what I found myself thinking was, this thing would be awesome if it had a battery and a screen, and then realized that actually 
that's just a laptop. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's been done. A powered it's, laptop, Chris. It's been done. <laughs> yeah, it's a Chromebook. <laughs> um, so yeah, it has been done. Um, and in fact, ages ago, I did actually use my obsolete, which I've got here, obsolete Asus Transformer TF101, which is actually an Android tablet, but um, I got uh, an Amiga emulator running on that, which is exactly what I'm talking about. Way back before, you know, the idea of running it on on uh, the Pi 400 came into into my mind anyway. So I'd, I'd already done that. Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all that someone's done that to an A500 Mini and had fun with it. Yep. Um, my eyes don't work very well with small screens these days, Dave. I, I should have mentioned, I um, last time I was down at the cave, which is just over a year ago now, Neil, it's been that long. Uh, last time I was down at the cave, I brought down my Mr. Multisystem, which mm. is a consoleized Mr. Um, and it, it's it's much easier to port that about than other things. But I also brought this, this 12 or 14 inch um, surprisingly good screen. And that works off a phone charger. Nice. And the Mr. Multisystem works off just a power brick, and that was fairly portable, and that that was actually great. That was great, and it did it did just about everything. I'd forgotten I'd done that, uh, but yeah, I'd I'd got a laptop bag, and I was able to fit the entire um, setup in a laptop bag, and I would think it was better than using a laptop for that. Hmm. There is something to be said for small screens and uh, retro gaming. To be honest, I know it's not great for our eyes, but I do love the way it squishes the pixels up. You know, it makes old games look like they're in HD. <laughs> That's true. And some of these laptop screens are bigger than the CRTs we'd have had in our bedrooms back in the day, anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, for myself, I don't, I don't see myself as somebody that would take that to a pub and sit there playing. In all honesty, That's one step too far nerdy for me if i'm at the pub i'd rather concentrate on the drink and the conversations and i do still like to concentrate on the drink yes i know focus Focus on the drink where would you you take your a500 mini then if you wouldn't take it to the pub what would you use on the train on the plane where would you go with it no not portable my a500 mini sits proudly in the other lounge in plugged into the 42 inch the other lounge hang on the uh, this man's got two lounges Three. Um, <laughs> three. He's got three lounges. One's currently Living a craft room. Chris. One's currently a craft room. Anyway, look. Oh, the, you know, the lifestyles of the YouTubers. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with YouTube to tell you that. Um, no, one. Yeah, we could. Anyway, well, maybe one day at all. Um, but it's plugged into the TV. And I love the fact the A500 Mini is USB powered. So if your TV, which a lot do, they have a USB port, you don't even need yeah. a power brick. You just plug it into the USB port of the TV. And there you go. You don't need anything else. So that's where it sits. Where would I take it? I would certainly think about taking it with me on my trips back to the UK because I catch up with schoolmates or I catch up with my nephew, all people from that Amiga gaming era. And that is a really good use case. Just your travel Amiga. Hey, do you remember when we used to play Back to the Future, even though it was rubbish, Back to the Future 2? Let's have a go. Um, and, you know, you can just set it up on their TV and off you go, plug it into a modern screen. Yeah, fantastic. That's that's where, that's where I'd take it. Um so but yeah but using their tvs and i think both of you guys have been to barcades haven't you you've experienced the barcade one way or another yeah only once but yeah 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 but it's not somewhere that you've chosen to go back to or is it just because of the the location the 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 the, 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 the actual barcade 
and not not nostalgia and there's barcade but the, the prop that the barcades that we're thinking about where they've got like 40 or 50 different machines they're, they're great if there's a, if there's a group of you if you need to meet some friends somewhere it's a good place to meet you can always go and play a game and whatever and have a beer they, they, they almost all have they're almost almost licensed that's fine mm. it's not the place to go primarily to play games if you know what i mean if you sure. I, i've got a better setup on the mister with uh, a crt to play games and arcade controls than, than they have there mm. that doesn't mean their games are, are rubbish but it's it, it, it's it's something to do it's a reason to get customers in it's a nice place to go and, and have some fun with your mates um and uh it's not quite i i don't think it's a destination for me anyway where i have a room full of stuff already it's not a destination to go for that there is an opportunity there though to set up things like tournaments you know yeah. and and really get into a game in that way either as a spectator or as a you know a competitor to test your metal but it's going to be interesting to see how how it evolves what events are advertised for the place um, and how successful it is because you know it is a it is a business model that we've seen survive in some instances for example there are nq64 arcade bars there's mm-hmm. um you know places like arcade club which are pri- primarily arcades first but have the facilities to have a drink and things like that yeah that's the um, other side of things the arcade club yeah yeah so flipping it around so you know mm. will it be a success i hope it will be i, I think it's going to be tough when the dust settles and and the buzz moves on um as we've seen with the Arcade Archive, huge, huge interest in it when it first opened and we got all over the BBC News nationwide, lots of people coming. Lots of people still come, but not to the to the same degree as mm. that initial buzz. That's just normal with mm. a visitor attraction when it opens, be it a aquarium or a barcade. That's just how it works. Um, I understand there's also an established arcade in the same town called Retro Replay, which satisfies retro gamers' needs, albeit in a different environment, but there is competition close by. What I'm really interested in um, is not something that was ever mentioned in the Kickstarter, but it's will Barcadia become the backdrop for the YouTube channels of the people that I mentioned for Peter, for yeah. Did You Know mm, Gaming, yeah. for Ashens. Yeah. Th- there's no mention of that, but if they're smart, I think they, they will use it as a filming space to give them not only a unique backdrop for their videos, it, it will also double as an advert for visiting the space and for people to step into the channel. Then, they're then not just going to a barcade. It's like, oh, my God, I'm going to Nostalgia Nerd's place. I'm going to step mm. in. I, I might get a chance to meet him. I'm going to be in the channel, which is something I see at the cave every weekend. You know, people looking a bit confused, a bit sort of excited, Oh my god! I'm in the cave. This is this is really weird. I'm in the television, and I love that. I love it when mm. people tell me about that. Um, so you know, it creates an aspiration to visit by using it, and it would save money on renting other space, whatever space they use currently for filming. Dave, so are you a celebrity then? No, <laughs> the cave is the cave is not me. <laughs> no, I do love. I know you people hate who that. Know the chat. That makes you so uncomfortable asking it that does. question. <laughs> Can you sign my Lego box? it is it is really nice talking to people who have followed the channel and remember things about videos that i've made that i don't even remember and they start talking to me about it i'm like just just remind me what video was that what did i do what did i say oh yeah okay (laughs) that memory is not that great but um yeah it's lovely to chat to people and you know no doubt peter and everyone else will will get to experience exactly the same or probably already have now that they've opened and people are visiting but um yeah, if it's logistically possible to pull it off with everything else that's happening in there, if they can use it as a studio and create that aspiration to visit because it is the channel and not just a barcade on its own, uh, I think that would really make it work. So 
be interesting to see if it does watch this space and if i'm ever in the area um i do hope to pop in and see what it's all about we are sponsored thank you very much by pixel addict magazine pixel addict magazine comes out every six weeks and it is a digital lifestyle magazine which means it covers not just the games that we like but all the other periphery uh of, of nostalgic things that we like from the past Neil? Does it have any tips on using your hair clippers? Is that part of digital lifestyle? So I don't shave my moustache <laughs> up again. My, my tip is charge it first, Neil, because you've run out halfway through it today. Did, yes, and then so I had half a haircut this morning, yeah. yeah. Uh, and pay attention to what you're doing. There you go. Pixel Addict, if you want me to do a feature for you on digital lifestyle tips of grooming, <laughs> haircuts, beards, I'm here, guys. Call me. Grooming special. Um, it's a new issue, and the new issue has, uh, I'm presuming it's Gareth's undercover, because he does all the covers. It has a, a shelf with lots of different stuff on I like that they've got the Hobbit on there as a, as a, as, as a, a harken back to the previous cover that had the wonderful Hobbit on it there. And the cover story this week is preserving our past, or the cover feature this week is preserving our fast meal, our fast, our past. Well, I'll put my teeth in before Does I record. I'll pass. Uh, Neil, yeah, Neil, you've which had a look at that. Tell that us which is something that if fast had their way, it might have reduced the amount of preservation that took place because yes, there would have been definitely. less piracy. That's so true. I see what you're yes, getting at definitely. there, Dave. Our cover story this month pays homage to the members of our vintage computing and retro gaming community who painstakingly archive physical media such as punch cards, floppy disks, magazines, and manuals. We feature exclusive interview guests, including... Jason Scott from the Internet Archive, Andy Spencer from the Retro Computer Museum, Alex Crowley from the Arcade Archive. He didn't tell me he was featured in the magazine this week, but Alex is in there. Uh, and Keir Fraser of Flash Floppy fame and many more, including a teletext artist, Dan Faramond, um, and the wonderful work that people do in capturing teletext pages from old VHS videos and the like to, to preserve those. So that is a story that's right up my street. I look forward to reading that one. And um, ties in with what I've been doing this week as well, which is I recently got myself a grease weasel, Ooh. which caused much hilarity when I casually said in the office to Lily in front of Richard, oh, Richard, I got my grease weasel today and I've been working on it upstairs. <laughs> She's like, what the hell is a grease weasel? What's it doing in the so cave? It's a Lily. <laughs> How are you finding it? Was, yeah. Fantastic. I'm I'm, yeah. I, I, so far, I'm taking SCP images, so those flux level images. Yeah. Um, and it just seems to work with absolutely everything that I throw at it, whether it's Amiga, Atari, old PC, 720, you know, 1.4 meg discs, whatever I throw at it, it's working. So that will appear as part of the Microprose video that I'm working on, by the way. But it's not about me. It's about Pixel Addict Magazine at pixel.addict.media. Um, if you want to go and check out more, you can get a physical copy down your local high street, ask your news agent to stock it for you, or download the digital version from their website, Pixel Addict. And we thank them for sponsoring us. Are you fed up yet with hearing me talk about how good DOS gaming is? Yep. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> um, here's more. Thanks to Pajaco for submitting this story. It's a story from Hackaday uh, about a DOS handheld. It's actually a little palm top DOS machine. Now, palm tops are a little bit larger than a desk calculator a little bit larger than a mobile phone, or if you're watching this in 2026, they're smaller than a, a 2026 mobile phone. By the time they get there, they're getting bigger. Um, 
palm tops were popular in the 90s. Well, they were most popular in the 90s. I don't think they can say they were ever very popular. And into the start of the, the double O's, but they hit a wall fast and they died off. And I'm pretty sure it's obvious why that happened, because the mobile phone came along and that started to do their functions. You started to get things like the, the Nokia uh, communicator, which was a mobile phone that it was, it did some of the functions of what a smartphone did before you had a smartphone. Um, Neil, I think you had one of those, I think. Mm, uh, but they're yeah. not a form factor that I ever had or I per particularly wanted, because. but they are really interesting. Neil covered what I think is most accurately described as a sub-notebook rather than a palm top, which is the Toshiba libretto in an RMC video. I've seen it said that a sub-notebook is larger than a palm top and usually has a full keyboard. But I've seen palm tops with a full keyboard, so I'm not really sure what the lines are. The blood yeah, lines there. Yeah, there were scions with bigger keyboards than the libretto, but the libretto had a 486 processor in it. So mm. it all gets a little yeah. bit confused and mashed up, doesn't it? Yeah, so maybe sub-notebooks are often called palm tops as well. But the story in Hackaday is about brand new 2023 DOS PCs. And these things look really neat. Um, they are recently made. They are perhaps made in 2023 or if not 2023 in the past few years. But what's maybe a bit misleading is that they're not using new components. And Hackaday do point that out. They're not trying to mislead us there. Um, the, the spec of these machines is kind of 1990, 1992 for a desktop. And there's earlier 8088 ones from the mid-80s. Mid but they're using components that you wouldn't be using in a desktop uh, at that point, they're using a uh, system and a chip things that you would get from um, point of sale things, uh, ATMs, that type of thing. Uh, embedded systems typically used technology three or four generations before that was available cheaply, all integrated into one single chip and um, low energy, easy to use and so on. So th this is the this is the components they're using in this DOS PC. So while it's a new PC, it's not, everything in it isn't new. Um, now, Hackaday have the same conclusions that I do and that what happens, uh, and I can't provide any evidence to this, but I'm fairly sure I'm right on it, uh, Chinese e-waste recyclers are taking old equipment and stripping it down. And once they have these old ICs, they're trying to turn them into new devices to sell. And I love the idea of that. I've seen it before on PCI SATA cards. So these are PCI cards that allow you to connect SATA drives to your PC. I'm not sure what the market for those really is. Is it maybe people setting up home servers or trying to get as many drives connected as possible? I don't know. I've seen it on graphics cards as well. So early double O GeForce FX 5500 cards that have been made recently. So I... These have been particularly been around for years, and Phil's Computer Lab, for example, has has covered them. So you mentioned Phil's Computer Lab. I've been enjoying his photos from his PCBWay tour appearing on social media this week. Have you seen them? He's been popping up no. around the factory. No. Oh, have a look. He's um, His channel's changed direction a little bit recently. Um, his, he's been running channels for, 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 for a long time and his content is really good. His um, 100 and whatever it is in one Pentium, MMX 233 video is 
is the Bible for how to do a proper old DOS machine that covers everything. But sure. all of a sudden, recently started putting his face on the videos. He's yeah. always he's never put his face on. He's put his face on before. Don't know why he was hiding it. He's a lovely, bald-looking man like us. Um, <laughs> and um, his channel seems to have his channel seems to reinvigorize his channel. So I'm delighted that he's going to PCB to do that. That'll be really interesting. Now, hang on, it's not uh, it's not Phil's computer lab. It's Phil's lab. Phil, why have you got names so close to one another? Phil's lab that went to PCB. Because that's what they're called. When their mum and dad had the kids, they said, "Let's call them Phil." That's true. <laughs> you Should we call it Neil's right. lab? Sorry, Phil's lab. Phil's lab went to PCB way. Nothing to do with Phil's computer lab. <laughs> Carry on, Dave. The cards are quite inexpensive, but it's it's harvested from i think they've harvested them from laptops or motherboards have taken the integrated graphics chip off that and thought we can turn that into a discrete graphics card so that's quite clever so i think what's what's going on here is is really clever um but they're not budget uh, when i saw them on aliexpress to a 250 dollars but since they're using genuine pc components they should be should be really nice and compatible although with PCs, there's compatibility isn't that much of an issue. Certainly, PC emulation is better generally than other emulation, um, and they do expose the eyes of us, not the the ISA bus as you call it. There, the eyes of us <laughs> is exposed through a port on the side, so they, that could maybe have other things connected to them, like a sound card or a video card. Now, Neil, you've had palm tops and PDAs through your IT work in your previous life, is that right? Yes, I have, including the Nokia communicator that you mentioned, which was. Looks like a a fat telephone, kind of like a, a a wireless phone that you would have around the house, a house phone rather than a mobile phone, and then you would crack it open and it would split into like a little palm top. I had Palm Pilots before that. I even had an Apple Newton for a spell, um, and I maintain to this day that all of those devices kept me better organized than a modern phone ever does. Because on my modern phone, I constantly miss reminders, I miss messages because of the sheer volume of information that it's bombarding me with in the modern day on those old devices, you know, it was just what I put in there. There was very rarely a connection to the outside world to interrupt that or, or bug me. Or if I downloaded my emails, I did it in a batch processed way. I'd connect it to a serial dock to my PC. It would pull in the emails and then that was it. You were disconnected again. So, um, yeah, but then the same could probably be said of a paper diary or um, a fun facts organizer. Did you have a fun facts organizer back in the day? No. Is that you a don't remember fun facts? Like a file of facts, yeah. It was like a little white file of facts with coloured stripes all over it and a big splash on the front that said fun facts. And it was, you, you had your calendar, you had your diary in there, but then you could go into WH Smiths and you could buy other fun facts information packs to clip into it because it had a little, you know, pop open and close binder. So you could get like your dinosaur pack or whatever and clip it in there <laughs> and have your dinosaur facts in your file of facts. I'm not making this up. <laughs> no. No. Well, you guys obviously had never had any fun if you didn't have a fun facts. We had facts. Anyway, <laughs> back on the story, the device that really caused a buzz was the 386 model. Um, so I looked that up, Dave. It's listed at £413 on AliExpress. Um, it's got the aerodynamics of a brick. It looks like a calculator with a 16 by 9 widescreen display on it. And... Um, in the description, it says everything is new on it, with the exception of the main chip, which I guess must be the yeah. CPU. Yeah, that's going to be yeah. the 386 that they've ripped out there. Um, AliExpress has it listed under the category of air conditioning parts. 
Don't know why, but it is. And it rather ambitiously shows cool. the news. Because it's cool, because it's got some cool fans in there to keep it cool. And it very ambitiously shows Windows 95 and Doom as examples (laughs) of things that you might run on it, which, yes, they will run, but they will run horribly on a 386SX. They will walk. Sorry, Dave? They will walk. They won't run. They They will will walk. walk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're cruel. Um, I do love that it exists. I wouldn't pay £400 for it. I know a man who has on our Discord, so we'll get his opinion on it. Did Chrissy. he pay four hundred though? I don't Did know he? if he paid four hundred. Knowing Chrissy, he probably I had like AliExpress just credit all the, or something. Yeah, all all the the reason ones have gone, and now it's just the ones at four hundred that are left. Yeah, but actually, you know, I like the fact that it has ports for an external mouse and external keyboard. I think it might even come with them. Not sure with the mouse and keyboard. It's got VGA port, so that's what makes it for me. Lose the screen that's built in, lose the keyboard, save some money on its build, make it a four eight sixty x two sixty six. Oh, that's the seats, the sweet spot. Put it in a little beige case, and then I'd love it. Mm. Um, but in its current form, the form factor that it comes in, uh, for want of a better phrase, I would describe it as a bit shonky. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it seems like, well, it's a reminder that we learned an awful lot over the years about ergonomics through the development of PDAs and inter mobile phones and how they evolved. And this appears to have missed school and forgotten all about that and missed the lessons on, on ergonomics. It's, um, it's a sexy brick. <laughs> Chris, true. <laughs> how do you follow on from that? You are, how do you follow on for that? I don't know. One sexy brick I to just, another. Sexy brick. <laughs> yeah, <watch> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I know. I just think it's interesting how I think you know when you know back in the day when we were nerds, if we can call us that, there there was a want for having a, a computer in your pocket, and I think for me it was as early as things like the Atari portfolio. And you had, mm. you know, different offerings from pe- people like Texas Instruments and stuff that weren't quite as good, but they were better than calculators. You know, maybe you could store phone numbers and stuff like that in them. Yeah, there was also the super scientific calculator that had loads of features in, or even yeah. scientific calculators that could run Doom as well, weren't there? So there was that that bridge that you know, yeah, as well into the palm tops and then the phones. So there was there was this want for it, and then. The, the phones kind of took over. So you're quite right, Dave. It's sort of that's why the palm top computer as such didn't really get anywhere because we ended up with a computer in our pocket just by evolving the phone. And we still call it a phone rather than a pocket computer, which is quite interesting when you think, you know, especially a lot of the, the next generation, the last thing they want to do is make a phone call. <laughs> you know, They're terrible at it. Yeah. I am. Um... I phone customers day to day on the phone, and, and the, the amount of times I say, "Look, do you have a landline?" Because yeah. your phone's just not cutting it, and the the phone, the, the actual phone quality, seems to be the, the the least thing on the list of important things for it. Yeah. All oh, right. Interesting. I don't have a landline. Still, no, nor do I. Um, still go on. But sometimes people's mobile phones are just terrible. The landline for us is is for the um the spam callers to to call us and we just ignore it in all honesty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just no, we gave voicemail when, it, when we got fiber. Um, mm. we just use that for the internet and then yeah, no yeah, need for yeah. it. I think you can get a VoIP voice package and you can pay more for that. But I've got a mobile phone, so I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I've I've got that and I don't I didn't want it, but it was cheaper to get a voice phone package than it was not to get it. So I just never right. connected. I've got a phone number I don't use. Mm. But I mean, I, I do recall like the early palm tops. You know, going back to those, um, they were a bit like laptops and only flat screens in terms of the screens. Were always had that sort of horrible lag, that blur. So the last thing you'd ever want to do is game on them. So 
I quite like this idea of a modern device, assuming obviously it's going to be a modern flat screen, so it's going to play well. Um, so you can kind of have that experience in a usable form, if only it wasn't a 386SX. That really does let it down. Wolfenstein would be fine, but you're not going to play Doom on this. You're seriously not. Um, but yeah, um, I just think, yeah, it's great to see a modern device using original parts. It's a good way to upcycle. So long as the donor machines were generic clones and nothing collectible and assuming they were genuinely cactus in the first place. <laughs> That'd be my only caveat. But other than that, I like it, yeah. The um, the, the machines that they would have, these would have come from would be from tills from shops and so on, so electronic point-of-sale type devices. And they did go, certainly you, you could get Pentium, you, you could get 486DXs, you get Pentium 2s, Pentium 3 ones. So they could make one of these with perhaps a Pentium 2 or Pentium 3 if they wanted to. But they're cool little devices. I know that our friend Chrissy uh, ordered one. I don't know how much he paid. He wouldn't have paid £400 for it. Um, but he ordered, I think, before they started talking about an Hackaday. So I'll wait to see what he gets. He told me he thinks he'll get it sometime in June. But I would bet money that other YouTube creators have bought some too. So I'm going to expect we'll see a video or two on it. Maybe Clint's got one. I don't know. Uh, we'll find. We'll, we'll maybe see a video on these things. And I, I'm interested to see what use people manage to make for them. Do they find a use to, to, to make a niche use for it? I know Chrissy will put it on a shelf and forget about it because that's what he does with all exactly his money. That. Come on, I can't see. What niche use could a portable 486 PC have that you can't already do on your phone? It's it's just going to be for enthusiasts to have some fun with and go, look, I've got Doom on a, on a portable. But if, if it makes its way into someone's life on a regular basis, I'd be delighted to hear that. But keep your eyes peeled. I'm sure there'll be more on it. Hmm. So this next story was fed to me by the algorithms. Uh, I know that's not a Reddit username. Uh, I mean, it came up on my suggested news feeds on my phone or my pocket computer, probably because I've been shopping for cameras recently and therefore the internet thinks I love cameras more than anything else in the world. Can we just all agree that from now on, we're all going to call our phones pocket computers? Yes. Know, every situation, every context. Oh, that's is that, is that your phone ringing? Oh, yeah, that's my pocket computer. That's my pocket computer. That's and my then, pocket computer. Yes. And then flick out the keyboard like that. Yeah. Oh, look at Chris has got yeah. a keyboard on his phone. What is no, that? This, this is an old phone. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> don't you wish that you still they still made them like that? Yeah. Anyway, anyway. pocket computer. Pocket. Anyway, that was the last story. Carry on with this no, story. I agree, though. <laughs> All stories from now on, they're pocket computers. Absolutely. Anyway, so Jeez. yeah, the algorithm <laughs> fed me the story, and it actually did a good thing because the story isn't just about any camera, but about someone using a retro digital camera in the modern day. The story, uh, which we'll link in the show notes, of course, is on uh, petapixel.com and was written by Michael Zhang. Basically, a Formula One enthusiast named James Two had tickets for the Miami Formula One race and, of course, wanted to take some decent photos while he was there. You know, who wouldn't? However, the officials and security for the Miami race have put in some rather strict conditions of entry in place regarding cameras the way the story is told is they pretty much tried to stop anything resembling a professional or semi-professional camera from entering total blanket ban worded as follows 
point-and-shoot cameras and cameras with consumer-grade detachable lenses will be allowed in order for guests to take photos, provided they are only for personal and private, non-commercial purposes. However, monopods, tripods, selfie sticks, audio recording devices, and video cameras will not be permitted inside Miami International Autodrome. Cameras may be subject to additional screening. Notice they didn't ban mobile phones. No, that that would be impossible. Do we know if this applies only to Miami or is this a Formula One thing blanket? I actually don't know, but I would I would assume it's just Miami. I haven't heard of this happening anywhere else. And, sure. and the comments below this story, people are commenting about how, especially back in the days of Brand Hatch for the F1, they actually set up an area for amateur photographers to actually go and get better shots. Much mm. better approach, much better approach. Well, so, what this story's reminded me of so far is the fact that when I played F1 GP, Jeff Graham's F1 GP, there was no Miami track. And, no. and that's about where my knowledge of F1 peaked uh, <laughs> around about the early 90s same with my football knowledge as well around about yeah. then um so not everybody's yeah. into f1 so we should probably explain it's a bit like um nascar but you have left and right-handed corners <laughs> um so anyway uh so yeah i mean I've, I've made a joke about the phones there but of course these days the phone does that job so the ban really is a mute point um and i do actually get I get the idea of stopping people from throwing up tripods all over the place at events. I'm actually not against yeah, that kind God, of ban. Please. Um, I'm actually on board with that. And the ban, of course, was for public safety, you know, people tripping over stuff or having massive lenses dropped on their heads, and also to protect the commercial interests of official photographers. But still, anyway, James found himself at the pointy end of this ban being aware of the rules, he he showed up with a Sony A9 mirrorless camera and a tiny 40mm prime lens, and yet he was still turned away at the gate. Keeping in mind, this was day one of the race weekend, which is only practice. It's not the actual race. So he had to leave the camera behind and enter without it. But two days later, for the actual race, he was permitted inside with another camera. So if you've been looking out for the retro link, here it comes. He took in a Sony Mavica MVC FD90. Yep, he shot photos, and I'll say quite good ones, of the F1 race on a floppy disk camera from the year 2000. So while everyone else is happily taking high-quality zoomed-in shots on their iPhones and even taking banned audio and video recordings, I'm sure, there was James happily swapping out 3.5-inch discs after every six photos and having a blast whilst doing it. We've covered a few stories about floppy disks hanging around in the modern day before, but I don't recall us ever discussing digital cameras. Uh, the year 2000, in fact, is quite late for floppy disks in a camera, I think, um, but Sony did it in the MVC FD90. Neil, what was your first digital digital camera experience and what photos did you take? My first digital camera, Chris. Digital um, camera. <laughs> well, um, on That's the you see. of the uh, Sony Mavica, I do have that Sony Mavica. Um, cool. Yeah, that's an interesting question you raised. Why were they using floppy disks when there was solid-state media mm. then available? It's got to just come down to cost, isn't it? And the, the fact that it's still in people's mindset that floppy disks are pretty much disposable and cheap at the turn of the millennium. So they thought, okay, there's a massive selling point. I don't have to pay for film. I don't have to pay to get film. Um, go on, Dave. 
I just worked it out. If you have a memory card, you've got to erase the memory card. You've got to copy the stuff across and all the rest of it. The floppy disk becomes almost like film. It's it, you put the floppy disk, and you take your take your pictures, and you've got that. You just use a new floppy disk after that's a permanent record. Whereas well, you can swap SD a memory card. card around, but yeah, I see what you mean. It does. It, it is a bit more yeah. tactile, a big chunky floppy disk. Yeah, to, mm-hmm. and a memory out. card you would wipe out. You wouldn't keep buying new memory cards, but you would do that with floppy disks. That's true. Yeah, yeah, definitely disposable. Um, yeah, I took my Sony Mavica to a Christmas party a few years back, and people enjoyed the idea of being photographed on a on a floppy disk. It was like some kind of ancient Victorian technology that I was wheeling around, and the photos were low quality, but they were fun to share. People enjoyed it, so I've still got that on my shelf here to, to use from time to time. Now, my actual first digital camera, I can tell you exactly when that was from my Amazon history. I bought it on the 30th of December, 2003. So I must have had some Christmas money knocking about or something. Um, I bought it with a 128 meg memory card. Um, it wouldn't have been cheap. It was a Fuji Finepix S3000, had a 3.1 megapixel sensor. Six times optical zoom was built into the lens. It wasn't a replaceable lens or anything like that. Um, it was one of those ones where you turn it off and it contracts back into the body of the camera itself. And uh, I took it to Kenya and I took it to Barcelona. And then I took the time to print out the pictures that I took. I put them into an album, which I still have. And that's something that I rarely do these days because this was pre-Facebook. Facebook came around 2004. So that whole attitude of sharing your photos digitally with everyone on social media, that hadn't really happened yet. It was that middle period between film cameras where everything was analog and taking digital photos and sharing them digitally. Um, I was taking digital photos but I was sharing them over coffee in an album after having printed them off without, with anyone who would ask about my trips. Don't worry, I wouldn't make people suffer and say, come in, look at my photos and make them go through hundreds of pages of photos. Nobody likes that. Um, so it was that weird middle period. And to this day, when I pull those albums out and I look at the photos, I still think that they're some of the best photos I've ever taken. And I think it's because I took them with the mindset that each photo had quite a lot of value to them. I had a limited amount of space on my memory card. I knew that I'd be physically printing them out. So I took more time over framing them. And you know, at the time of taking the picture, not in Photoshop afterwards, just trying to get a really nice shot, way more time than I do now with an iPhone and a virtually unlimited amount of space and a, a ability to take a burst shot and take a hundred and pick the one that I want from the middle of them all. So um, it really worked well. And the, and, and the proof was in the results that I've still got in my album. Maybe I'm being old and nostalgic, but I've got really, really fond memories of that early digital camera. And I don't know that I'll ever be the photographer I was again. Uh, I know a bad um, workman blames his tools, but it just worked for me. It really did. And um, yeah. What about you guys? Did you have the same experience with your, were you, did you have digital cameras in that period? The first ever digital camera I bought, I checked through my purchase history as well, was a Canon PowerShot A800 10.6 megapixel camera. And I didn't pay very much for it in 2011. So this is really late. Now, I bought it because I wanted to take pictures of stuff to sell on eBay. And I wanted something I'd put on a tripod because certainly mobile phones have got a lot better. Sorry, certainly personal computers that we hold in our hands have got a lot better since pocket computers have got a lot better since 2011 that way. Back then, if you're trying to take pictures of anything you sell on, on eBay, three out of four of them, no matter how, how how carefully you held your hand, they would end up blurred. Um, so I bought it for that, and it did its job. It's certainly earned its place. If you're sitting, my top tip for you're selling on eBay, 
the picture quality is so important. Um, but before that, I'd been happy enough to use my phone. And when I went on holidays before that, I would just buy a disposable camera and I would just use that instead. I've never taken, I've never been into taking artistic photographs. If I take a photograph, it's to remind me about something. It's to remind me about me being there. You can always go online. If I, you go to the Grand Canyon, you want a picture of you at the Grand Canyon to remind you, put your mind back there rather than a picture to look at the Grand Canyon because you can go online and see wonderful ones. Um, and I think cameras are a plague at events like gigs and concerts. Just put them away. Even back 20 years ago, they were a, they were a, a pain in the neck. Maybe if they give you, if they, if they buy a ticket for the, a gig these days, they should give you a, a code you can go and download a few pictures or a couple of minutes of video recorded at the the gig you were in for your own for your own memories, but you're at a gig and someone's got their phone out in front of them. Put it away, um, enjoy the moment, and don't just don't just stand there living your life through Instagram and all the rest of it on Facebook. And oh, shut up, Dave, and stop going on a on a rant about this. But no, I'm I, I just do mean it. At how we enjoy this place. How we love it. Just enjoy yourself. Of a young people, young people. This is a segue I was not expecting, and I think it's a valid one. And even what you were saying about photos, well, Neil. Sorry, good Dave. Get, carry on. I, I'm, go, I'm going. To, I'm going to tie it back to the yeah, original on, story. On, so I, I do agree with what they're doing. I, I see the reasons why they're doing this. Mm. They don't want people to have to get past people's tripods and get people with their Instagram lights and so on, try, trying to make themselves as a contact create content creator. I'm fine. It's important. You mentioned people taking a picture. If you paid a fortune, I'm assuming it's expensive to go to F1. If you paid a fortune Mary. to go to F1, then you'll want a photograph so you can look back twenty years later and say, oh, we went to F1 in Florida. That was amazing. So definitely take pictures. But all that kind of stuff, no, stop it. But I did like what you said about having the amateur photography area. Mm. Have one of those. Let people go there um, and just keep them out of the way of, not, of, of other people trying to enjoy it. So, yeah, I, I do understand why they've done it. Um, and I, I think using the floppy disk camera, though, is cool. What a brilliant way around it. <laughs> it is, isn't it? But I, I, I think this, is, this has gone into an interesting segue about how we've changed in society, and a lot about it is about the clicks and the likes, but we it's just habitual. We pull out our phones and we stare at the event through a tiny two-dimensional screen rather than looking in real 3D at what's actually happening in front of our faces, which is a shame, and we take hundreds of if not thousands of photos that generally we won't look back at because we've got so many it's too big a task to sort through your photos so you don't look and so i like what neil was saying there um about going back through the photo albums and there is something more special about that because you took so few photos and in some ways it's a better memory trigger um because you've got so little to go on I would say though that this is not the technology at fault this is us at fault this yes. is all us taking too many pictures and not going home and waking up the next day and saying, what I'll do is I'll look through the pictures I took yesterday and delete all the rubbish so that I've got a record. That's on me for not doing that. I don't do that. I've got a Google phone photos uh, from my um, portable computer uh, and I've got um, thousands and thousands and thousands in there. And thanks to my friend Pillock who told me I can search my photos for things that it automatically recognises. That's true. Otherwise, I'd never find a thing in there. Yeah. Main use for my portable computer, 
um, the phone, is Pocket taking computer. photos of things because my eyes can't Pocket read them. Computer, sorry. <laughs> Have you done that? You take photos and then you yes, zoom in on the yes, photo yes, and you just yes, see what it says. Yes. Like, is this Panadol or is this something else? I don't know. <laughs> Do I just keep randomly taking the tablets out of the medical Say box? Court. <laughs> anyway, um, whenever the conversation about digital cameras comes up, though, especially early ones, which is what we're talking about here, um, I always find it interesting because I've I've heard it even in professional workshops and that kind of thing where people slam Kodak for not seeing the digital revolution coming and failing to adjust their business model. And I'm not sure that that's accurate. Um, it's always confused me because the very first digital camera I ever used, which wasn't mine, it was one we had at work, was a Kodak DC120 back in 1997. Um, and since then, even pretty much every self-service print booth you know where you take your memory stick in and you print your own photos has been either made by fuji or kodak and i'm pretty sure they still make some of the print material as well so they didn't disappear into the night and in fact whilst researching this story i found an article suggesting that kodak actually invented the digital camera back in 1975 so we haven't got time to go through that as a separate story i'll just link to it in the show notes and you can make of that what you will but they certainly did see the, the digital revolution coming and like i said it was the first camera i used and it was a very good camera just ran on four AA batteries. I'm trying to work out if it, because it's a blurred memory now, it was a very elongated device with its own mechanical zoom lens inside. And I can't remember if it had removable Was storage, it a telescope? Or if you, no. Because that's that's oh. a tele, you've described a telescope. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, I can't remember if the, the memory was removable or if you had to plug it in and download the photos and it was just embedded. I, that That is a blurred memory for me. I'm looking at a picture of it here, Chris. Um, yeah. The back flips up and there's what looks like a compact flash-sized um, memory flash. device that goes in the thought. back. Yeah. Um, and I think but, I've also read it's got two megabytes of internal storage too. So you could you use go. it without. There yeah. you go. So maybe but it looks. It looks. Memory. It, it looks more like a camcorder than a than a it does. photographer's camera. I've got to say. Yeah, but it took very good for the time. It took, it took very good pictures. Very uh, enjoyed enjoyed using that. This story only came about because I was shopping for cameras. And what I'd love to say, I got another Kodak or even hunted down an original Kodak Instamatic 192, complete with 110 film. Do you remember those film cartridges that you would snap into the, no, just me? Okay. Um, the ones with two, two things and they would yeah. wind from one to the other and that was it, done. It was like a yeah. cartridge, yeah. Um, and the yeah. flash bulbs, you had like a stalk uh, with its own batteries and you put these flash yeah. bulbs on top of the floor you only had four pictures and then all the globes were well, bulbs sorry we call them globes in australia all the bulbs would blow because you only got one shot globes. Uh, yeah i don't I know why they the call them bulbs. globes i don't know i keep trying to change the entire country back to english but it doesn't work. <laughs> um but yeah so i didn't get grab one of them for the nostalgia but i do love thinking about that my very first camera wasn't digital but that was my first camera turn um, the globes on turn the globes on yeah i know you do yeah i need to replace the globes literally yeah, anyway, stop talking about the globes. What I've bought, Dave, after shopping for cameras and after the algorithm feeding me this story that we've been talking about, I jumped in with the masses and got myself a Sony CyberJot. In fact, I've got it here, the ZV-1F. It doesn't have detachable lenses, uh, but I bet it would probably still get me banned from the Miami F1 Grand Prix if, if the <laughs> story that? is to be believed. Uh, I got, right. there was a pack so you could get the microphone. That is the ECMG1. Oh, I see microphone so it's like a gun mic, mic. Yeah. yeah and you can actually take it off and use it with a normal 3.5 mil 
stereo cable. So yeah. I'll use it as an interview mic. Um, because I will be tripping people up at the Perth Amiga Users Group because I am the official videographer, so I'm allowed to. Nice. Um, but so that's what that's for. But to come around full circle, the algorithm served me another camera-related story only this morning. Sony are about mm. to announce the successor to the ZV-1 series of vlogging cameras. It looks like the new ones have a proper built-in zoom lens. This doesn't. And who knows what other improvements it has. So I'm instantly out of date. I've only just bought this damn thing. I'm instantly out-of-date. Out of Sony, you b- <laughs> Duncan, you can bleep that out. <laughs> Time now for our question of the week. Take yourself back to when the Argos catalogue was a thing of wonders and dreams. Which articles did you circle? What did you highlight? What did you wave under the noses of your parents in the hope that they'd pick up on your less than subtle hints and buy you for Christmas? Or perhaps you were making a list and checking it twice of what you were going to buy when you next went down to the high street yourself. What did you reach for the BIC for uh, to to circle in the catalogue? So um, let's go to our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, if you want to participate in our questions of the week or to submit any news stories that you might like us to um, have a conversation about in future shows. Now I have to check with you, Dave. Has the question of the week been locked? Because there's a button you have to yes. press, isn't there? Yes, yeah. it, it, it's been it's been no longer in contest mode. It's no longer in <laughs> random order. Right. I think you need like a catchphrase for this part of the show where it's like, yes, Neil, I can confirm that the comments have been locked or something like that. Something dramatic. We need a game show kind of countdown music. Do, 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 yeah. do, do, yeah. do, do, And then we done there the it or we lock it. What do we do? Okay. Unlock it. So okay, Dave, lock the comments. They're done. They're done. I'm pretending because we're done already, but okay. they're done. Done. Okay, Duncan, if you want to, if you want to throw something in there to make it dramatic, then please do. Um, okay, so the top comment is from Richard Shears. A simple answer that required no thought. He says, "Big track for years. This was circled without failure. The first thing that I went to, and you might have guessed, it never materialised as a gift. Aww. And I've yet to own one. Poor Aww. Richard. Aww. Kickstarter Aww. to buy Richard Big Track. They I did a reissue a few one. years ago." Yeah, they did. Is yeah, he trying to hint to clear? Um, so Big Track, if you don't know, looked like an army tank from the future, had a calculator keypad on the top, and you would tap in the top, and it would make lovely beeping noises. Beep, 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 forward 10, right 20 degrees, forward 30, you program it in, press start, and away it would trundle around your kitchen floor. If you're a really rich kid, you got a trailer with some rocks mm. or something that went in the back of it, and it could tow the trailer around. Um, every kid wanted a Big Track. I, think. I had one. It was cool. I had one. Chris had one. My brother and my had one. Six-year-old niece pulled, nope. pulled the wheels no off it when I was at school. Yeah. Oh. And it all fed into robots, the buzz for robots, um, watching Short Circuit, Johnny Five, and wanting something <laughs> like Johnny Five and all of the rest, you know, big buzz. Um, he wants to read the next one. Dave. Oh, cool. So C.S. Marauder says the U.S. had the Sears catalogue. Sears was an anchor store in the malls, which I think means it was a, a store that they wanted to have there so that other stores would want to open up next to Sears. Right. Um, you could call a toll-free number and order stuff and pick it up at the mall or have it delivered or go to the store and shop there. It was a wonderful time. Hit the mall and go to the arcade and the food court. Great times. Here's a website that has catalogs going back to 1940. The 
80s Sears catalogs are what you should have a look at. So they would be, uh, I guess, that is that the American contemporary to the Argos catalog? Is that the, the closest equivalent they have? I guess it would be. I think Sears uh, was show notes, bigger again than Argos. I think it was a very successful store, wasn't it? But is that is that the closest they would have? They would, they would look through the Sears catalogue in the same sure. way they would look through the Argos catalogue, I guess. Yeah. Um, and he says the, the, the 1985 Sears Christmas book is perfect. Mid-80s American consumerism. The toys start on page 424. I'm on, I'm on the catalogue now that he's linked. I've gone to page 608 and there's a section called Computer Wonderland. Ooh. Save $100 when you buy this C64 computer bundle. Oh. And it's showing um, a Commodore 64 bread bin with a flight simulator on the screen. Disk drive printer next to it. Just checking for a price. Um, C64 computer on its own, $149.99. I'm going to buy good. it. I don't like clicking on those catalogs because it makes you feel like you could just order it and you can't. <laughs> it's like really exciting and then such a big letdown. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, there's a good computer section there. So well worth a look. Chris, do you want to read our next section? Yep, it's from Dave Dev Retro, and he says, Oh, man, Tin Can Alley. I always wanted that, and it was oh, yeah. never to be. Uh, we used to cut out stuff from the Argos catalogue and create scrapbooks of all the stuff we wanted. Wow, that's one step beyond a big pyro. <laughs> um, and we would never get, oh, how depressing. Oh, yeah, no. Tin, tin Can Alley was, was something that I always looked at and wanted, but you just kind of knew it, would, it, it wouldn't quite work as it yeah. looked. You know, you knew it would just sort of... Bit fall enough. over or the, the the bullet would just kind of trickle out the gun or i don't you've know got, you've got the real thing in the cave downstairs you've got the, the the sheriff one. Oh, true oh yes yeah not working yet but yeah did yeah. you guys um, circle anything that you really wanted for ages and ages and then eventually got gosh yeah right while you think about that here's mine at 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 walker Years oh, and years. It oh, felt like dog. forever that I want. This is my original, and it felt like forever I would circle this. They were quite expensive um, for what they were back in the day. Um, I think they were twenty five pounds back in you know nineteen eighty. Millennium Falcon. Um, oh yeah, Millennium Falcon. So when I eventually got this, the funny thing is, it's pretty much the same year I slowly grow grew out of playing with Star Wars toys. But I haven't ever been able to let go of this yet. That was my circle. Every catalogue this was in until I got yeah. one. I uh, because I was into my microcomputers, I would look in the August catalog, and more often than not, um, it became more and more console based rather than microcomputer based as the years went on. So I'd look at things like the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo and what was out for it. I, I never never circled those. I remember getting some micro machines once from oh, yeah. it. Mm. That was a bit later on, but um, no, I don't. I think Big Track was up there as well. That that was a really good shout from Richard. Yeah, um, there's lots more. Are there any other answers you want to pick out from uh, this week's question of the week? I like the Evil Knievel stuff. Evil Knievel cycle. Yeah, yeah. And Nez. That was from Generation Pixel. Frosty Cheesecake says Nez. What else have we got there? My favorite pages were the Star Wars He Man mask toy section from Retro Mash Reddit. Oh, mask. Yeah. Oh, I did have Castle Grayskull. I did have the He Man Castle Grayskull with the action figures, the trapdoor in the top. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Toxic Seahorse wins crossbows and catapults. 
Never did get Ooh. it, but man, that that was great. That was just a game of pure destruction in the hallway. Me and my brother set up your castles, launch stuff at each other, and um, <laughs> see, see which one. I don't even know if that was the rules of the game, but that's what we did. Um, God, there's lots of answers. Casio G-Shock yeah. uh, Watch from Tech Made Easy. Squelch411. Do you see his comment? He's talking about Silica Systems, which is his go-to catalog. So that's the one you'd be, you be you read about the better micro than the one you had in it. So when you had the CPC, you would see the Silica Systems advert for the for that the Atari ST and that. Mm. Um, I love looking at Silica Systems. With, yeah. the, with the Casio uh, watches, if you want to feel yeah. like you're back in the 80s, just pick up today's Argos catalog and go to the watch section because they haven't really changed. They haven't changed, have they? <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Time now for our question of the week. And I think we've decided we're going to go with the question that spontaneously came to us earlier when Chris was showing his signed um, Lego by, what show was it again? Lego Masters. You had Grand it Masters. Signed, Lego Grand Lego Masters. Lego yeah. Masters, you had it signed by them. So um, this is a safe space. We are here to appreciate the things that you want to show off that perhaps you don't know who else to show them off to. So come to our question of the week, which will be pinned to the top of reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. If possible, post a picture of a thing that you want to show off uh, in the company of friends so we can all go, oh, that's cool. doesn't have to be signed. Even better if it is signed. Dave? Tell us why it matters to you, though. Tell us why it matters. Yeah. Why is it important yeah. to you? It doesn't have to be something of great value. Um, maybe no. it's something of, of great sentimental value to you. Just come on, show off your stuff to us, and um, we'll look forward to seeing it, and we'll, we'll show – I think we'll probably end up showing more than three on next week's show because um, I'm really looking forward to the answers on this one. So go and take part. Thank you, as always, for, for listening. Sorry again that we were away for a week, and um, we'll be around. We've got an uninterrupted schedule for the – next few weeks haven't we coming weeks yeah yeah lots more this you're week not here week. next week neil i think you're you're off next week i'm not because i'm doing a, another kids um brief history of video games at the cave which is already fully booked so the kids are coming to the cave and i've got to be prepared for that Brilliant. um yeah Go on, i Dave. booked a guest so i've got a guest for next week so there will be three of us already nice <laughs> yeah i'm worried that there might be an improvement so oh, I, I would i'd be concerned neil i've just remembered i'm going to be outnumbered no more spoilers. Damn it. They probably know how to like groom their beard and everything. God. Ooh. I'm not sure that I'm not sure they do. No, I don't do you know, know who the do. guest is, Neil? I you don't know who the guest is, is, no. Are we gonna share that? No. Well, I'm not gonna say because it's recorded. I don't I, I don't I, I we don't get we're not gonna uh, can I give you a clue? I'll give you a clue. Go on. They like Atari STs. <laughs> well that narrows it down. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna be out now. Yeah, millions of people. <laughs> Good. All you know is they've got great taste. Until next week. Thank you, everyone, for watching. I won't blame you if you skip the Atari ST episode. Take care, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Should I think I'm busy next week? <laughs> <laughs>podcast version of the show is available through your favorite podcaster including apple podcast and spotify and the video version is available on the this week in retro youtube channel
Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.